20,000 years ago, the last glacial maximum came to an end and deglaciation began. The great ice sheets that had once buried northern Europe began to retreat. Sea levels began to rise and the green of new life crept northwards, chasing the retreating white. But another process had already begun. The crushing weight of up to three kilometres of ice had until then been pressing down on the very crust of the earth. The immense force of this had deformed the crust downwards, displacing the mantle below it and raising the crust of regions not covered by the ice. This downward force had been removed, allowing the crust to return to its previous shape. The northern regions of Europe began to rise, while nearby southern regions began to sink in a process known as isostatic rebound. In the UK, the practical effect of this is like a seesaw, and it is thought that this could continue for thousands of years. This small, incremental change adds up over the years, and with rising sea levels and with more frequent, more extreme weather events as a result of climate change, the people living on the south coast of England are caught between rising areas and sinking land. They are a community that is acutely aware of anything that might worsen the frequent floods that already plague them. And that's where we're heading now, to the south coast of England, specifically to a small fishing town in Cornwall, a place with the dubious accolade of the most flooded town in England. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Rian Owen. In this episode, we have partnered with consultant WSP to tell the story of Lou, a small fishing town in southeast Cornwall. The town has been campaigning for over 20 years in the hopes of getting a flood defence scheme to shield them from the effects of events that get worse every year. In this episode, we will learn about the unique situation of Lou, which leaves it particularly vulnerable to flooding. And we will learn about work that is now underway to design and justify the most comprehensive flood defence project in Cornwall currently being considered. A system that will not only protect the town, but will ready it for an economic rebirth. To do this, first we need to understand Lou itself, and that means meeting the people. So I am a local girl. My dad's family came from Lou and my mum's family came from Polpero. This is Tina Hicks. And back in the good old days, they weren't supposed to do the courting business because uh, one community didn't speak to the other. But um, thankfully, for my part, my mum and dad obviously went courting. Polpero and Lou are both coastal towns, less than 10 kilometres apart. So Tina is local by any measure. I grew up in Polpero spent a lot of my youth out on the sea in, in various boats and fishing and not really being very ladylike, more of a tomboy really. I had a fantastic upbringing. I moved away to train as an accountant. After spending 14 years in public practice, Tina moved back to Lou to raise a family and to provide the childhood that she enjoyed so much. On her return, she took up the position of harbour master. So as a harbour master, I don't think any two days are the same. And it's certainly that the role is, is really defined by the port in which you work. 
So every harbour master role is unique and you find yourself some days doing very mundane things and other days you could be working on multi-million pound projects like we are with the one we're working on at the moment, which is our flood defence and resilience project. Speaking to Tina, you feel her love for her home, its people, its history. So Lou's very beautiful. The main town is based at uh, the bottom of two very steep hills and the Liscard Lou Valley. We've got East Lou and West Lou, which is divided by the Lou River. Picture a small sandy beach, a breakwater and a river leading inland. At low tide, the river dries out, while at high tide, you see fishing boats, tourist boats and pleasure craft travelling to and from the harbours on both sides of the river. Back in the good old days, the two towns used to be separate towns and there was quite a lot of rivalry between the two sides. Now we have an interconnecting bridge and people do talk to each other on both sides of the river, but they still call it the sunny side and the money side, so um, there is still a little bit of rivalry between the two sides. The east is where the majority of the low-lying properties are, and it's characterised by small local shops and pubs where you can drink local Cornish ales while watching the fishing fleet come and go. But Tina's face falls when she talks about the flooding and her voice wavers. I don't think anyone can say how often we flood. We have the storm surges, which obviously come in from the sea, and then we have the sea level rises. So on a windy day, if, if the wind's in the wrong direction, then potentially we flood from the sea. But because we're based at the bottom of the valley, if we have an awful lot of rain, we can potentially be flooded from the river side of things as well. So I wouldn't like to say how often we flood. We flood very, very regularly. And as well as the tidal surge and rising sea levels, Tina says that the town is also affected by fluvial flooding, with rainwater running down into the harbour area from the steep valleys that surround it. Lou has always flooded. Tina's dad grew up in the back streets of West Loo and is now 90. And he has memories of many of the cottages in the floodplain regularly flooding. They often talked about storm boards being up for nine or ten months of the year to stop the, the ground floors of cottages flooding. Unfortunately, we've got quite a difference now because the frequency that we get flooded, the severity, and obviously the area that's being flooded is considerably worse than it was back then. So we still have a flooding problem, but the degree of that problem has increased much more than it was when my dad was growing up as a youngster in Lou. Many of the cottages in the floodplain are very old thrown together with whatever materials were available at the time. Back then, people just sort of got on with it. It flooded, they got on with it, they mopped up and they moved on. And Lou people today are very, very similar. You know, they've got that sort of attitude that says, OK, we're going to be flooded tomorrow, we'll put up the storm boards, we'll do the best we can to fight against it, and then we'll mop up and, and within a few hours we'll move on. But as I said, it's not like it anymore. Um, the, the severity is much greater than it's ever been. And now Lou people are starting to struggle. And 
people are questioning whether it's viable to start businesses here. And it has been suggested in the last five years that Loo has taken £39 million worth of damage. And each flood event costs local businesses up to £31,000. So suddenly we've got a town that people are actually saying, is it worth coming here to start a business? Can we still stay here as a business? They also have the problems of insurance. Many of our businesses in the town aren't insured because insurers will not give them insurance because it's within the floodplain. So when they do get hit by tidal surges, basically their business is, is at risk. And a recent survey of local businesses actually concluded that 22% of our main businesses have said that they're thinking about either moving away or actually ceasing their businesses because they can't continue to go on the way they're going. Um, and that's really worrying for us as a town. If, if we don't have the businesses, basically Lou isn't viable. Traditionally, Loo has been a fishing port, but in the last 10 years, tourism has increased to the point where it is now probably the bigger sector. The pubs, restaurants, the guest houses, they're all needed to make this economy viable. And the flooding is punishing them. The need to solve this has been a challenge since Tina returned to Loo. I've actually worked for Loo Harbour Commissioners for 21 years now, and one of the first meetings I ever went to was a flood defence meeting. It scarred me for life because I wondered what I'd actually walked into, to be perfectly honest. Lou Harbour Commissioners have been looking into uh, flood defence schemes and solutions to the problems that we experience in Lou for about 20 years. There are various schemes that have been investigated. But each time, they seem to come to a dead end. That was until they started working with Cornwall Council the Environment Agency and WSP on the new scheme. And we now feel that we have a scheme that not only would prevent and protect the town for the next uh, well, approximately 100 years from the flooding problems that we're experiencing, but also allow significant economic regeneration for the town. So developments of areas that at the moment we can't develop um, because they're in the floodplain and obviously undergoing regular flooding. So having battled for so long on our own, it's a huge relief now that we've got other bodies that are actually supporting our battle. And we're certainly very hopeful, more hopeful than the town has been in a long, long time, that we can actually find a solution to the problem and put this town back on the map as being a viable town with a future. With a metre of sea level rise expected over the next 100 years, flooding will occur every high tide. A current 1 in 1,000 year flooding event, where the town might be battered by the full combination of factors. A very high tide, strong winds and low pressure will become a 1 in 1 year event at that time. A scheme is needed and it's needed soon. Time to call in the engineers. I'm Hamish Hall and I'm Head of Profession for Water within WSP UK and I fill my days trying to help people 
reduce the risk of flooding, whether that's on the sea or inland. Like Tina, Hamish has been thinking about Lou and its flooding problem for over 20 years, going back to when he was a graduate engineer long before joining WSP. When I was a graduate, I surveyed it and it was a problem then and it's still a problem now. Although Hamish doesn't downplay the damage being done at the moment, for him, it's that increase in severity that lies ahead which is the more worrying. The economic impact to Lou from flooding over the next 100 years is huge. I think we've, we've looked at the pure impact on UK uh, for Lou repeatedly flooding and it's, it's around about £160 million pounds, uh, over the next 100 years. This is not an uncommon story in Cornwall. And Hamish reiterates the fact that with Cornwall sinking from the effects of that isostatic rebound, combined with sea level rise, many towns in the area are at risk. However, Lou seems to be special. Lou seems to be in the, in the perfect place to pick up the storms from the southwest and the southeast. And it's got a river which forms the, the harbour that runs through the middle of it. So waves and tidal surges really get to the heart of the town quite easily. And on top of that, it's got steep hills either side. So when it rains, water pours down very quickly and floods a low-lying area. In addition to that, when there's big waves, waves just overtop the beach and the seafront and flow into the town. And just to top it all off, because this is an ancient, not an ancient, an old harbour, the walls are semi-porous. So water flows in through the ground and groundwater to affect properties. So from an engineer's perspective, there are four pathways that need to be dealt with. Tidal surge, wave overtopping, surface water and water ingress through the porous wall. However, the scheme will also decrease the risk of sewer flooding. And another area it will need to consider is river flooding, which is not a problem at the moment, but could become one if the barrage is not opened in time after a high tide. And so we're looking at options to try and stop the water uh, flooding during extreme periods. And so the approach that we're adopting at the moment is twofold. One is to try and reduce the size of the waves that hit the town and can run up the river. And for that, we're looking at some form of offshore breakwater. And secondly, we're trying to stop the water flowing into the town. There are a couple of approaches that we could have adopted here. One option is to raise the existing walls around the town. We discounted that pretty early on um, because those walls will have to be one, two, two plus metres high. And so the reason people come to Lou is to see the sea. And if they did this, all they'd see is a wall. Additionally, the walls are so leaky, the water would probably still seep through. So we're taking a, a bold and probably quite expensive uh, measure to try and stop the water coming up the river. And so we'll be looking at a tidal barrage under most events, most days, will be open and people will become, yeah, be able to move freely and uh, the river will be able to act normally. But if a very high tide or storm or both is forecast, the barrage would be shut to stop the tidal water coming into town. 
there would also be a cut-off defence behind the beach to stop the groundwater coming in. Currently the locations are undecided as this requires consultation with the fishermen and other locals. Additionally, offshore and onshore ground investigations are being carried out at the moment. We have a perfect mixed bag of geology. We have some good competent rock on one side. So I talked about the rocky headland where we're going to be building the breakwater. And so we're lucky there that the one half of our tidal barrage and breakwater will probably be founded on strong, competent rock. Um, and then as we go east, we have relic beach, made ground, old quarry material, rubbish, all sorts of stuff. And so on the eastern side, uh, which is far more permeable and mixed in terms of geology and made ground. It's recognised as a technical risk to the project. We're reasonably confident on the death-based assessment that we've done that there aren't going to be significant um, you know, compressible organic or clay materials that would cause us concern uh, around settlement. We know that we've got made ground through there and we expect some form of contamination um, in areas that we're excavating. And that's quite typical for Cornish towns that have a, a long heritage of mining. And of course, we need to um, we need to to fix that before we go forward. But in the main, the, the below ground works probably be the uh, cutoff um, wall to stop saline ingress. And that hopefully will be a, a relatively simple sheet piling uh, operation where we don't have to disturb too much of the ground. Currently, the team is going through the costing to decide whether the breakwater will be rock armour or caisson or a mix of armour and caisson to work out. How we build what is quite a large structure when we take into account uh, waves that can be up to five metres high offshore. But we're not taking a decision yet because we're also looking at can that breakwater become a habitat? It's a big footprint sticking out in an area that is a sensitive marine environment. Can they maybe consider a different choice of material or slightly amend their designs to promote the growth of seagrasses or some other environmental boost? Environmental and visual impact assessments are ongoing. The structure will sit below water at high tide, but will be visible at low tide. And so it needs to fit with the look and feel of Lou. Some of the buildings have been there for hundreds of years and a brutalist lump of concrete is not an option. So we will need to work with landscape architects, architects and of course the community to get something in there that meets with everybody's satisfaction. Despite the need for the project being around for the past decades, the current push has only been going on for six months. And Hamish had a baptism of fire, what he called a quiet meeting with the fishing fleet and the tourist community just before Christmas. The first project visuals had just come out and were... Met with broad acceptance and some excellent questions and concerns raised by the people who live and breathe uh, that harbour and that river. And you know, that meeting once again demonstrated to me 
although I profess to be an expert and a civil engineer with all the right qualifications, actually there are no experts and it's a group of individuals that have to come together to decide what's right and what's best for a community. It can't be decided by one set of experts. And from this meeting, Hamish says there were a few particularly good insights from the fishermen. One was around accessing the new breakwater. So we've got a new structure that's going to reduce wave energy. But in a storm, these fishing vessels, which are quite old, traditional, large um, steel boats with their single engines, they struggle to turn sharp corners, particularly when there's big waves. So we've both listened to that and changed the entrance configuration and we're running now some numerical ship simulation models to see how a variety of different boats will behave. How they will behave while turning what is essentially a 90 degree corner to get into the harbour. And there are other simulations ongoing to work out exactly when the barrier would need to be closed. So you would ideally assume that you would close it at high tide to stop or just before high tide to stop that extreme sea and surge and wave action coming into the harbour. But if we did that, we may end up with a, a secondary problem, is that the River Lou, the East and the West Lou, will probably be in flood because generally it's low pressure that causes storms for winds and waves and surge, and it's low pressure that causes heavy rain. So. What we need to do is probably shut that tidal barrage earlier than high tide, maybe close to mid-tide or low tide, to leave enough space for the river flood, the fluvial flood, to fill in behind without then flooding the town of Lou. So that's one of the challenges we have to get through. And of course, if we shut the gate early, that means that the fishing vessels can't get in and out. So where are they going to go? is another secondary reason for having the breakwater. If now we shut the gate, there is a safe refuge behind the breakwater for those fishing vessels. And that means that we need to construct the breakwater first. There are many other challenges we've got. So I talked about the groundwater ingress. So uh, when the tide comes up, even several hundred meters back, you can measure the tide height in the um, soils and we've got to try and stop that happening. So I'm confident we can stop the tidal ingress uh, of water, but does that mean that we're going to be trapping normal groundwater behind that can't get out? So we've got to make sure that we, um, we don't solve one problem and start creating another problem. Further details of the project are available on the Cornwall Council website, which we will link to in our show notes. It's all very well to have technical feasibility. But another challenge of this scheme is to secure the funding. And this means that the economic argument needs to be won. 20 years ago, we were looking at flood defences, big bits of concrete to stop somewhere flooding. Now, you know, we and, and the, you know, the people of, of Lou recognise that it's no good just spending a large amount of money on one product, one output. So the scheme that's being promoted by Cornwall Council and the stakeholders is actually to 
reduce the flooding risk and promote a, a renewal, a regeneration of loo. So, for example, while the breakwater is going to stop waves, it could also be a place for tourist vessels or a fast ferry to berth. Or maybe a walkway could be put along either side. So, very much we're hoping that the flood defence scheme is actually a flood defence and regeneration project because we need more money for this project to make it successful and it has to integrate into the, uh, the economy and the environment that's already there. To give this scheme the best chance of being approved for funding, the Environment Agency is lending its expertise. And it's been involved with past attempts at solving loose problems too. The Environment Agency has um, commissioned consultants to, to perhaps propose various solutions in lieu for, for a long time, but they haven't been very effective in, in, well, in a number of different areas. One is they haven't met the aspirations of a low community and they tend to be fairly temporary in nature. This is Tom Fletcher. He is Strategic Projects Manager for the Environment Agency, working with the team focusing on Devon, Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly. And in fairness to the way those schemes have been developed, they've been developed within a, a fairly constrained system, knowing that the kind of funding you're going to generate from flood defence grant and aid, so that sometimes limits the scope of what your ambition can be. And, um, and so that has been the history really, or part of the history of what's happened in Lou. However, this time, we're now taking it wider in terms of, well, what does the solution really need to be? And also, what does the community want it to be? And so that's why we're, we're taking a different approach this time. The Environment Agency has gotten fully involved with the scheme and has responsibilities in regulation, funding and advising on the project. And that way, again, we can, we can help the project partnership understand what, what hurdles we might have to get through in order to you know, get some of the funding that, that the project wants. As might be expected from the Environment Agency, some of this oversight covers environmental permits. The environmental permits will be particularly important around uh, the environmental impacts that, that we might be concerned around. You know, things like water quality, we, we'd want to make sure that what happens here doesn't degrade the water quality there. We've got a bathing water there because we, we've got the beach at Lou as well, which is obviously very well used. We need to make sure, and I think early indications are that, that it won't, that if you have any flow from the river uh, coming out of the harbour and you, you build a breakwater, that then that, that, that water that's coming from the upper catchment of the Lou, which potentially has pollutants, doesn't then impact on the bathing water of Lou itself. Another concern is making sure the scheme doesn't disrupt fish migration, for example. On to the economic case, and flood schemes are expensive for small towns. The Lou scheme is expected to come in at £74 million. You know, Cornwall generally has a smaller economy. Um, it's more reliant on tourism, and it doesn't have the kind of economic generating activities that the rest of the country has. So you're already starting from a point which is, you know, lower down compared to the rest of the country. There is a need to convince the government that money provided for such a scheme will give a worthwhile return, meaning eventual tax revenues from a boosted economy. Tom says you're always looking at the economic impact of flooding. And then that's part of your justification for receiving your flood defence grant and aid. However, the regeneration side perhaps is more recent 
And that's then about looking at and how an area will grow economically as a result of the installation of your flood risk management measures. And for Tom, a lot of this is about business confidence. I think a lot of this is about instilling confidence in business to invest in the area. And if at the moment they, you know, if it's apparent that it's flooding very regularly and you're starting to get that, that all those issues related to chronic flooding that happens in an area, there is then a reluctance to to invest because you can see that if you start start setting up a business or start investing in a business, well then you've got that constant threat of flooding to your to your business. So you need to first of all, you know, make sure that you decrease the impact of that flooding, or or if you can, obviously stop it where it's causing the problem. And that's obviously the you know one of the big aims for Lou. And then you'll instill confidence for businesses to invest in that area. And what they are hoping to do is encourage new businesses to invest, as well as protect existing ones. Then that will generate a business and it will generate jobs. But importantly, it will also generate tax receipts, okay, for the exchequer, which then goes back into the national economy. If you can start to show examples of how that can happen in lieu, and then you multiply that over a wider area. And you also, not just restaurants, but look at other kind of businesses that will do the same thing. Then you start to increase the GDP of the area, which will then generate more tax income for the Exchequer and the Treasury. And the cycle continues. But it's a situation where you need to show the economic value to justify the funding that would create the economic value. I think the um, generation of the funding and that wider business case to justify it is going to be a really uh, big piece of work and that will be a big challenge because when you start installing this sort of infrastructure it's going to be very very expensive so yeah I suppose my feeling is is the funding is going to be the biggest challenge in, and, and trying to raise that is going to be is going to be a big job um, but if we set down this route of looking at the wider economic and environmental benefits to the scheme and realise that potential, well, then it's a very attractive offer for an investor. Tina thinks that demonstrating this shouldn't be a problem and that there is even more potential to be unlocked. And certainly for us here in Lou, we can easily do that with this scheme. We've got large areas of land that lie directly beside or adjacent to the, the river, um, which at the moment get flooded on such a regular basis that um, we can't build on them, we can't do anything with them, they are just empty pieces of land. So with this scheme, it's, it's going to be developing those areas into things that are, will create economic regeneration for the town bring more businesses here and give some stability to what we've got already. And the town even has ambitions to become the centre of a local hub. Lou is also the, at the centre of an emerging network of transport improvements for South East Cornwall. And we have strong economic links to um, our neighbours, such as Liscard. At the moment, they're looking to develop cycle trails and ferry routes that connect us to our neighbours. But because of the flooding that we're currently experiencing, 
we we really need to sort that before any firm plans can be progressed on that basis. So there's been a lot of money that's been put into these projects to develop them, but until we actually get the pl- the flooding problem sorted, the projects won't go ahead at all. Lou might even benefit from the present boom in remote working, with many people and businesses based in London looking to relocate to more picturesque locations. It's bound to appeal to many. But how long will it take to realise the project? Here's Hamish. Lou is already flooding frequently. And the longer we take to get a scheme planned, permitted, tendered, designed and built, the more times Lou's going to flood. So the whole team are trying to move this project forward as quickly as possible, but without uh, cutting corners. Because every year that we don't provide protection for Lou, they're inevitably going to have the two to five flood events. And there may be a risk of a much more extreme event in that time frame as well. So we're looking at the outline business case, which is where we hopefully secure the funding for this project and get approval in outline for the scheme to be completed at the end of this year. We will then move into a an up to a two-year process for the legal process to flow through. And it could be up to two years for the environmental impact assessment and the Harbour Act amendment to come through, during which time the team will be undertaking detailed design. Which means that in three years from now, I would hope that we'll be breaking ground for beginning the uh, construction of this rather important flood defence and uh, immunity enhancement scheme. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. Our producers are Alex Conacher, Bernadette Ballantyne, Rian Owen, Ross McPherson, Velo Mitrovic and Tim Sheehan. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Rian Owen. Script editing by Bernadette Ballantyne. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own salty sea dog is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, WSP, the Environment Agency, and the Lou Harbour Commissioners. Thanks for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn.